Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back or welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Welcome to our world. We're happy you're here. It's Lindsay and Krista. We are real life best friends and business partners. Business partners is doing this thing. And we're so happy you're here. Thanks for choosing Almost 30. We know there's a lot of options, but you made the right one. We're an OG in the space. I'm going to brag. We've been doing this for seven years. Haven't missed a week. Whatever. Before everyone thought it was cool, before everyone saw all the money you can make, we did this because we actually like doing it. <laughs> but we still have family members that say, are you still doing your radio show? Oh my gosh. A family friend at Thanksgiving was like, what do you do? And I'm like, okay, what's, what are we going to say? I'm like, oh yeah, I have like a radio show. It's spiritual. And he's like, never believed in the paranormal. Literally all he said. He's like, I've never believed in the paranormal. I'm like, Okay. If you connect spirituality to the paranormal, not sure, but I think a lot of people do. Where to go? I guess like spirit, spirit, like a spirit, and then they're like a spirituality. Mm -hmm. <sighs> it's very interesting. Or it's like, oh, like I don't believe in psychics or tarot cards. You know, it's like that totally. type of like quick association. You're like, got it. I know I've actually thought about this before. I'm like in being a teacher or whatever, I need to really figure out what the next best question or comment is about that to not combat or deflect or shame or blame but to help guide and lead to the knowance that they are so much bigger and greater and they're mm -hmm. blah 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 mm -hmm. but that yeah it's just there's so much more available to you when you think outside of just spirituality as ghosts yeah also, my whole thing is I'm like, how do you not believe in ghosts? <laughs> I know. I'm like, but if we want to talk about it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. You don't believe in God. Whatever. God doesn't care. But like <laughs> ghosts, how could you not believe in ghosts? Everyone knows ghosts exist. I actually um, would love to do a poll of our audience who believes in ghosts and who doesn't. Oh, I'm sure 99%. I know. Well, we believe in aliens. Kind of aliens are now proven. That's out. It's on mm -hmm. about. So if you believe in aliens, I'm sure you've got to believe in ghosts. It's like same, same, but different. Yeah. But it's the same idea of kind of this like taboo thing that people either have always felt or sensed or had like a knowing about and like they just haven't given themselves permission to believe because of whatever the reason may be. Yeah. Ghosts are interesting. But I think what hurts it sometimes are those like paranormal shows. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because I guess I was thinking about my journey. So Catholic and then Catholic is heaven and hell. And then you don't really see yourself having access to the higher realms, to angels, to Jesus, to any of the ascended masters. You don't really know about any of them except for Jesus as the son of God. So it's like, okay, that seems like a stretch. And then the angels just support Jesus in his work, but are not there for you. So then it all is almost like you have to go through the route of looking at kind of the creepy, crawly, crazy stuff that happens. So you watch those shows. My sister used to like chill and watch those shows. I'm like, 
I still remember some of the episodes as like the scariest things I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as scary anymore because I kind of understand, but it's, I remember one time she was watching Castle Ghosts of Ireland. Oh gosh. And I'll never forget this like creature walked down this like castle hallway and it was like this like little goat thing. Oh dude, it was so crazy. Oh, I thought you were going to say like a lizard. No man, it was like a little goat creature. It was so crazy. And I was, I've, yeah, still burnt, seared in my mind. Wow. For me, like looking back when I was young, I didn't see or feel ghosts in my waking life, but in dream life, there would be some like weird wake dream moments of that feeling. Obviously not knowing what it was and being absolutely terrified, but I know you felt a lot of ghosts and paranormal stuff when you were younger. Oh, yeah. There was some weird things going on in my crib. But I had a friend. It was really interesting. She's like, yeah, I had a ghost in my room. And I would always talk to him and ask him questions. And he would move. She said she had these flowers hanging in the corner of her room. Sometimes you can hang flowers to dry. She's like, I dried flowers and I hung them in the corner. And for yes, he would turn the flowers right. And for no, he would turn the flowers left. So she would like communicate with the spirit and ask him questions about life. And he mm -hmm. would like talk. I'm like still so creepy i'm like how are you that not scared it's like a floral pendulum truly was a floor she's like no i just i told him this is how we're going to work together and i'm like dude oh. that is next level also probably not a catholic who knows yeah that fear was instilled in us it was truly instilled in us welcome to the show if you're new we're grateful to have you this is a show where we like to expand our minds and talk about things that we don't know all the answers to. We are not a show that's bringing on people that say everything that we believe or that know everything that we know. The reason why we want to have this show and the conversations that we do is because we want to learn. We started this show seven years ago with that desire and intention to learn, to expand our consciousness, to support ourselves in our evolution and to feel less alone. So we like to bring on conversations that are sometimes out there. And Aaron Abke, my friend and amazing person, is coming on the show today to talk about our financial system and some of the corrupt nature of our financial system. And just a caveat, I have no idea about any of these topics. So maybe this is just for you for entertainment purposes only. That's all good. Maybe this is something where you're going to take it to the bank and you're going to change your whole financial structure. Please don't take it as anything beyond entertainment from our perspective. But it's really fascinating because Aaron is super well educated and super mindful about all the information that he puts out there. He's someone that is in deep integrity. I love him as a person and he's an incredible, incredible teacher. And so when we come on to talk about conversations related to our financial system, I like to come in with the understanding and belief that I know that it's corrupt, that I think we can all as a collective understand that there's so much corruptness going on within our government, within our healthcare system, within our school system, and within our financial system. And so when we approach something like this, we cannot deny that there is something bad going on, that there is something nefarious going on, that there is dishonesty. There's a lot of lack of integrity. And so when we bring these types of perspectives, it can be helpful because we can be like, okay, I'm going to look a little bit further. I'm going to look a little bit deeper to try and understand this more and to really see what could be going on with the intention of in the future, creating something that is more beautiful and more harmonious and serves us more than it serves the big man. Mm -hmm. And I think awareness is like 
just the most important part of any process. And so if you can become a bit more aware of, yeah, the intentions and the people and the energetics at play within any type of system, I do believe it like gives us our power back just a little bit more. And so you don't need to leave this episode and be like, oh my God, I have to do something or I have to fix something or I have to change the way I'm doing something unless you are called to and it feels if it feels aligned, if it stresses you out, I don't think that's the next step. I have to be mindful about this. When I am learning certain information, I really have to take time to like metabolize it so that I'm not reacting to it. I'm really approaching it from a more integrated place because sometimes I can feel like really overwhelmed by it, to be honest. Completely agree. So this is going to be a deep one. It is going to be heady. It is going to be in it, but it's interesting. I love thinking about stuff like this. I love exploring stuff like this. I love really understanding some of the things that are going on that I don't have awareness of, especially as it relates to our healthcare system or to our financial system. And I really loved Aaron's perspective on it. I love his education on it. So Aaron Abke, you can find more about him at AaronAbke.com. It's A-A-R-O-N-A-B-K-E. And then Aaron Abke on Instagram. We have two episodes with Aaron. I've done a lot of work with him for a book that I love, a channeled text called The Law of One. There's a few different books in it, but we work together on a lot of Law of One content as one of my favorite readings. And he's just an incredible teacher. He has a massive YouTube channel where he educates people on spiritual topics. And his mission is to show the world that enlightenment is absolutely available to anyone who wants it. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate your listenership. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast everywhere you listen to pods. We have new episodes every single week, and you can learn more about Almost 30 at almost30.com. We have an incredible membership that you can join, a place where you can truly come as you are, wherever you are in your path and feel, yeah, just like you're not alone. This is a community that will support you on your path of self-development, and we've seen people just improve their experience in their work life, in their relationships, and everywhere in between because of the work that they're doing in community and the membership. So enjoy this one. We will see you on the other side. We love you guys. Okay, taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. Can we all agree that? That's why for the last, ooh, it has been almost four years now, I've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel so nourished every single morning. I take it on an empty stomach. That's because servings of, go back. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more. It's such a powerful habit that also is powerfully simple. I'm all about simplicity lately, just making it easy to get what I need to make me feel healthy, focused, energized. So what does my morning look like with AG1? I get up first thing in the morning. I put my contacts in, I brush my teeth, and then I come out here. I do a little meditation and waiting for me is my packet of AG1 that I pour into a glass and I add uh, water. I like room temperature water, but you can do any temperature water. Go back, but you could do cold water as well. Um, I mix it up and I drink it. It's the first thing I put into my belly and I am ready to go. And honestly, this creates a cascade effect of really good habits throughout my day. Um, so 
I am sure that I get my daily nutrients. Um, I feel just focused. I feel energized. My body feels good. I feel regular. Um, and I know that they are obsessed with quality. Okay. AG1 from the get, from the very beginning, um, are obsessed with high quality nutrition. They go through a rigorous process, uh, testing process. So, you know, every ingredient is safe and they are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. So if there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it is AG1. And that's why we've partnered with them for so freaking long. We love them. So so if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs. Those are my faves with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash almost 30. That's drinkag1.com slash almost 30. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Oh, therapy, y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to, but I have been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better, made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash almost 30. We're rolling, huh? We're rolling, yeah. See, I know you guys are tricky like that. I know. We are. It'll just make me think I'm in a conversation <laughs> off camera. Yeah, and honestly. Yeah. While we're talking uh, about fitness, though, I wanted to say this compliment for the podcast. Okay. You're looking super fit, Krista. Thank you. What have you been doing? I'm hotter than ever. And I'm getting, I'm going to get even hotter. I'm on my way. I've been saying how I feel. Very and good. processing my emotions in a healthy way. Step yeah. number one. Yeah. And just lost the weight of my amazing marriage that ended. Yeah, that can change it's things. It's really emotional. Yeah. Like it's really an emotional, physical connection. And I feel like, and I've known this, but whenever I'm actually in flow with what is coming through for me emotionally, mentally, spiritually, then I feel better in my body. Yeah. But walking is everything. I've been walking more than ever, like whatever. But for some reason, there's a connection between the emotional and then the ability to metabolize food. Oh my gosh. I feel yes, like in, in the proper way, yep. even if I even found that even if I had something that wasn't like healthy, 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 there would be a way in which my body would be able to process it, especially if I was like enjoy eating it, mm -hmm. as opposed to when I was a bit more emotionally in distress, whether for whatever cause, but Well, yeah. there's also, you don't actually metabolize and digest the food as much. Your body doesn't secrete as much of the digestion enzymes. When you are stressed, when you have high levels of cortisol, your food sits in your stomach way longer. So there's so much research around us actually feeling relaxed in our bodies oh, as yeah. it relates to how we metabolize food. 
And also I've been praying so much more around my food. Just like game changer. Game changer. So whenever I have my meal, my breakfasts are usually the best for this, but it's like God made this food specifically for me. I cannot believe that I have access to this amazing food that God made for me and how easy it is for me to have access to healthy food. I feel so grateful for it in all the ways Mm -hmm. and all the people that were involved in bringing this food to me, I feel so grateful for. And yeah, just having that like cellular relationship with food Mm -hmm. and doing Reiki and praying over my food has been really beautiful. And then when I work out, just like being more in communion with my body when I'm doing it, like when I'm running, I'm like, okay, guys, you ready? Like talking to my cells in my body, like let's do this. But what would you do before? Leave your body. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I don't even know. Leave my body. Not even. Sometimes we would do workout classes and I do remember you like sometimes I'd be like, or I'd give her a thing and she'd be like, Dude, I'm not out. here. Completely disassociate. <laughs> yeah. I was even leaving our workout class this morning and I had to call my energy back. Yeah. Because it's the wow. loud music, it's the high intensity, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, the lot yeah. of people. Everybody most of the time in workout classes that are high intensity or hit leave their bodies. Yeah. They really are so out of body. And that's where I've been really thinking about yoga and Pilates and those slow types of workouts are not only important because they're better for your nervous system, they are much more relaxing, you can be much more intentional. But also, you're not leaving your body in the way that you do with HIT. Because yeah, at yeah. HIT, you're really like, I can see everyone's energy is just outside of themselves. Yeah. Super yeah. sympathetic state. Yeah, we yes. want to be embodied, yes. which yes. is what yoga, as you said, is so great for. Are you guys familiar with the three pillars of health? No, no. I would love to know. Water, yeah. light, and magnetism. Mm. So this gets into like mitochondrial health. Mitochondria are... You can never say that any one thing in the body is the most important thing because it's all connected, cooperative system. But mitochondria are like so important for our health. And it's one area of our health we don't give any attention to usually. And when you understand mitochondrial function, it starts to make a lot of sense about why you have health issues and from where they derive. And so mitochondria are basically the tiny little organisms. I think there's thousands of them in every cell of our body that they transport electrons to and from cells, right? So the ATP, the energy, which is chi, right? Prana. So they move the prana through your body and into the cells and tell the energy where to go to work. So mitochondria have something called ETCs on them, electron transfer chains. Those little like tubules you see when you look at like an animation of a mitochondria, they're little green, cute little guys. They have little tubes on them. Those are the electron transfer chains. So they take electrons into themselves, travel to wherever they need to go, and then they export them out. And there's an amazing book I highly recommend if you want to look into this called The Mitochondriac Manifesto. Cool. It's such a deep dive. It's, it'll change your entire paradigm of health in a way that actually simplifies it, not yeah. makes it more complex. You really just have three things to concern yourself with if your water quality, your light quality, and your magnetism are all in top condition, you're thriving. It's impossible for you to have a condition of sickness or disease. Your nervous system, your immune system is firing on all cylinders, right? Obviously, we know that our water supply has been just destroyed every way you can imagine. It's no wonder there's so many health issues in our country just because we know how poisoned our water supply is. But then you add in the fact that nobody gets sunlight hardly. Everyone's so sedentary and lives indoors and We had the lockdowns where they told us not to get sunlight, right? By law. And then the third pillar is magnetism, which is basically your electromagnetic energy field, your biosphere. Mm -hmm. And the quality of your 
magnetic field is what determines your health, right? And that actually comes from your state of being. Your quality of consciousness will determine the strength, the size, and the efficiency of your electromagnetic energy. And so we've all seen the toroidal field, visuals. There's an energy field that extends outside of us that literally it's every chakra, every energy center has its own biosphere. So it's really like seven spheres of different colors kind of cascading outwards. It's really cool. So like when you work on opening the heart chakra, most people just have the first three chakras, right? In activation, red, orange, yellow. Those are the primal chakras, fight or flight, self-defense, identity, personal desires. But when you begin a spiritual path, the first spiritual chakra available is the heart chakra. That's the feminine element. And so you have to get into your heart by opening your heart to creation, right? In love, in unity, in oneness, and start seeing the oneness of creation and loving creation. And the green ray biosphere will extend five times farther than the yellow ray, the third chakra, and then the blue, and then the indigo and the violet. So we can increase our magnetism like exponentially just by spiritually awakening and cultivating a high quality, high vibrational state of being. Your energy field is strong and powerful and fortified and efficient, right? So that's the third pillar of health, which is entirely spiritual. And they'll make it physical by saying, oh, you should do lots of grounding. Grounding on the earth helps your biosphere. All true. But what we're saying here is like, it doesn't matter how much grounding you're doing, you know, and if you buy a grounding mat and you sleep on it, like a lot of people do, like the external stuff can only go so far if you're not prioritizing the internal stuff, which is the healing, the shadow work, the forgiveness, and then your biosphere can really shine, right? So mm -hmm. I just think it's so fun to know that health is actually very simple. And if you wanted to make it as simple as possible, like how do I be healthy? Prioritize the quality of your water, get lots of sunlight and prioritize your energy field, which really comes back to your state of being. Yeah, with the sunlight too, we were talking about this yesterday and there's a lot of spiritual texts that talk about the sun being the place in which we receive codes for consciousness yes. and that the sun really is what provides us with support in our ascension process and really helps us awaken. There's also a lot of belief around sun beings, that there's beings that live mm -hmm. within the sun, that there's beings that come from the sun. Ra talks about that. Ra talks mm. about that. And then also that in our solar system that we ascend through the planets, basically. So Venus would be the next step. And it's almost like you move closer and closer to the sun because the sun is like the place of the most light. And mm. if we are light beings and we want to become enlightened, how can we be beings of light? Right. So yeah, what about the sun do you think supports our spiritual growth and process? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> what a great question. So there's something to, to be said, obviously, about the pineal glands relationship to light and solar codes. We know through studies on the pineal gland that uh, sunlight, literally through the eye, sun gazing right in the morning or in the evening when the sun's low on the horizon, gazing at the sun is really good for pineal gland health, producing more DMT. And so it actually activates DMT in the pineal gland to let the sun in, probably because there's light codes, right? But have you guys ever seen like the sun refracting through a window or a piece of glass and you see the color spectrum? Yeah. So you see the seven chakras, right? So in the sunlight inherently is all the energy codes for every chakra because you see those colors displayed through certain refraction. And so going back to the mitochondria, 
we need electrons constantly from the environment. We're in this beautiful, symbiotic, loving relationship with Mother Earth where literally all of creation gives me life. Without creation, I can't live. We are one. We're indistinguishable in that sense. If the sun didn't shine, I couldn't breathe. If the trees weren't giving off uh, oxygen for me to breathe, like I'd be dead. So the organs outside of me, the trees, the sun, the water, it's just the same as the organs inside of me, right? So we need electrons, which is prana, which is chi, and the earth is constantly donating her electrons to us. That's what grounding is, right? When you step on the planet, you guys know Gary Brecka. He's a kind of Instagram health guru kind of guy. And he, I saw a video where he was talking about this, where they actually can't even measure how fast the body's charge increases when we touch the, the earth has a negative charge and the, the negative charge is what's really good for us. It puts us into an alkaline state and stuff. And so if you're like, if you haven't touched the earth in a while, your electron, the amount and the quality of your electrons will be a lot lower, low energy frequencies, lower. And when you touch the earth with your bare feet or hug a tree or something, they can actually measure it with certain instruments in the body. The body's charge will go like that into a super negatively charged state matching the earth's. And it's like, no matter how much they zoom in on how fast does that charge happen? Apparently they literally can't even find out how fast the body charges like that. It's like instantaneous. It's like faster than the speed of light. And Probably so- because we are one. Like, it's like, we are the earth. You know what I mean? It's exactly. almost like mm-hmm. recognition of like us being the, the same. We came from the earth, yeah. right? So she gives us electrons and then the sun gives us electrons. So heavy metals, processed food, pesticides, all these things steal electrons. Really bad water quality will zap electro, like the water literally will take electrons from your body and absorb it into the water. And then you urinate it out. So you're just dumping electrons out. So as soon as you have a low frequency, you have more entropy in the body, right? Health problems are going to start happening because you don't have the energy required to keep up the harmony of the body. It's slowing down to just like a traffic jam or something, right? When the cars start to slow down, it's because there's too many cars on the freeway and they can't move. That's how the body is. The body is meant to be this fast operating, highly intelligent, harmonious system of cooperation. And when we introduce unnatural things, it just interferes with the body's cooperation. And so we think that something called sickness is developing, right? And then we see sickness like this enemy in the body, but it's the body. It's just that you've log jammed the body up so much that it can't do its normal functioning at the rate it needs to. And I think this is why Krista Ra talks about how light bodies from higher densities, fourth and above, they essentially live forever. They never die. They're basically eternal because the frequency that their body is operating at is so fast that like you could chop off their light arm and a new one will grow out right away. Light is infinite and has no limitations inherently. So it's like, I want my body to be operating on the highest frequency that it can. And in this third density realm, what's really important to that frequency is electrons. Sunlight, grounding from the earth, structured, negatively charged water will donate a bunch of electrons. Um, I've heard the analogy that if you are driving down the highway and you stick your head out the window for a while or through the sunroof when you're a little kid. It's really fun, but then you notice when you get back in the car, you feel tired and delirious because mm. apparently high winds will strip electrons from your biosphere. Wow. Um, 
think about like a net passing through and yeah. catching electrons in it. Huh. Wow. So you need more sunlight and things and healthy foods. Fruit is full of electrons, yeah. animal products, vegetables. So when you're in a relationship to light and you understand that light is in everything, everything is light, then it, it becomes very obvious to you that you would want to get the highest and most natural quality of light, which is from non-processed things, right? When you put food through pr the processing plants, it strips every good and beneficial thing from the food. So you're basically just eating what's left over is like empty calories that have no, no nutrition really left in them. And if there is any nutrition, none of it's bioavailable anymore. Mm. The farther we move from what's natural and what, how God created the universe to function, there's always a consequence immediately. Like even with water, we were talking about water before the podcast started. When mankind first had the idea of let's capture water from a system like a stream or river, and let's put it through pipes so we can channel it into our house. Seems like a good idea, but even that, there's a karmic consequence mm -hmm. to it, which is that obviously mankind, when water pipes were first invented, probably didn't know this. Maybe they did though, who knows? But water is structured. Water has to have a certain molecular structure that needs to be harmonious and geometric, right? So that it's, water's information, okay. right? When you drink water from a river stream or a spring, you're getting all the information from the minerals and everything that's in there, and it's very beneficial to your body. But apparently when water goes through 90-degree turns through like a pipe system, yeah. there, there are no 90-degree turns in nature. So that's one step removed from reality mm. for water. So you put it through 90-degree turns, and it's like a constant car crash for the water. And so the structuring of the water breaks apart and becomes chaotic, and then you drink it, and it's like, Maybe the water has good stuff in it for your body, but the information medium, which is the structuring, is not at a place where it can deliver that information. So these are things no one really thinks about in terms of the quality of what they're putting into their body, but all of creation is incomprehensibly intelligent and beautiful and harmonious. And I think it's very beautiful to see that the creator built in a kind of karmic structure that says... You can, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but if you violate the laws of reality, there will be consequences. Mm. And that's what we see, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just like simple reminder, simple question to self if you're about to consume something, like how far removed is this from how God created it? Yeah. A you great know, question to ask. Yeah. It's just a really simple way to kind of check in. I just wanted to ask about like the description of the mitochondria. It's like, okay, so we're talking science here. Mm -hmm. When did it split where it's like what you're saying makes sense in order to cultivate an electromagnetic field that is harmonious and powerful? But I guess like where did science and the spiritual split? Because I would think, you know, ideally, right, in a hospital, part of the healing process would be to talk about that as well. And I know kind of intellectually what happened, but I guess, how do you see that as like, so sciencey, so mm -hmm. based in science yeah, and it's very much lost. And yet your average doctor would have no clue what we're talking about. No clue. About. Yeah. Like your average Western medicine doctor, it's a tough pill to swallow, but you can literally ask them like, Hey, what does vitamin C do in my body? And they'll be like, well, it's good for your immune system. And you'd be like, no, I know, but what does it do? Like, how is it good? What's its function? What's the mechanism? They'll be like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're a doctor that's supposed to know about health. And that's because you guys have heard the phrase, 
money is the root of all evil. There's a lot of truth to that phrase. The love, the obsession, the desire for money is the root of all evil. Money can be used for beautiful purposes, and it will be as humanity evolves. But up to this point, money, the, the desire for money has corrupted every system that we see in our world today. And one of the most, if not the most unfortunate, is our health care system in that under that model, health is not profitable and sickness is a boom in business, right? Sickness is where all the money's at. Sickness is the gold rush for the healthcare industry. And so no one's guilty. No one's an evil, bad, horrible person doing this to humanity. It's just a system that has slowly devolved, right? Through the corruption of a for-profit model. How do we make the most money possible? At some point became the most important question to medical systems, insurances, hospitals, all of it, medical schools. And the Hippocrates sort of approach to health, which is that do no harm, the patient's the most important thing. Your only job is to contribute to their health and do nothing to harm them as a doctor. So that was the father of medicine said, the number one job of a doctor is do no harm. And what do our doctors do today? They're prescribing people drugs that have literally zero health benefits and only health consequences. And... I, I get it. They're, they're taught right at their Western medical schools that this is real medicine. These pills help people because they suppress the symptoms. And that's the only thing we need to concern ourselves with. So get out there and go prescribe some drugs. And maybe they think that they're doing a, a good thing. I'm sure most doctors think they're actually helping people by prescribing these drugs. But at the same time, there is a responsibility, just like with the food you put in your body. If you end up getting diabetes or something, and let's say you just didn't really know how bad white processed sugar was until you're in your mid-40s. You could say, well, I didn't know. It's like, that's true. You're innocent in the grand scheme, but there's also an aspect of self-responsibility to everything. Because as we just said, every decision you make in time and space is recorded in the infinite data field of the source. And every decision has a karmic consequence. And from the law of one's perspective, that karmic consequence can only be in one of two directions. There's only two polarities to choose from. So it's either moving towards the positive polarity of unity and oneness with creation or towards the negative separation from the universe. Neither one's right or wrong, but they have very different consequences. So while it's no one's fault that these things happen in that sense, we do have a sense of self-responsibility to Maybe look into what I'm putting into my body and just double check if it really is good for me or if I might be actually damaging my body by what I'm putting into it without knowing it. I mean, that'd be something I want to know. The same responsibility, I think, rests on the shoulders of Western medicine doctors. While I have full forgiveness for everyone, for everything, that's my path. But at the same time, you have a responsibility to your patients to do no harm. And so you should be really interested to double, triple check and not just take it from secondhand from what your teachers told you in school, but actually look into it. What do these chemicals do in the human body? Do they really contribute to health or might they actually be making people's problems worse? And if they are making people's problems worse, do I want to live that way? Do I want to do that for the rest of my life? Harm people for money? That's got a lot of negative consequences to it, karma to it. So I think the universe takes that into account of like this person's not aware 
that they're actually doing harm and not helping people. Intention is really what's most important, but that doesn't change the fact that they are harming people. And so karma has to slowly make them aware of that. And then there's the extreme case where doctors know good and well that they're prescribing poisonous drugs to people that are getting them addicted and stuff. And they're doing it anyways because they make great money. I think that's the exception, not the rule with doctors. But this is the landscape we have to become aware of in the day and age we live in. We live in, unfortunately, a insidiously corrupt world only because everything has become a profit model. And that's why money is the root of all evil. When money becomes more important than the actual virtue of the thing itself, aka helping people be healthy, then it gets corrupted to the negative polarity. And it's just like we've said, right? It's just a matter of once I am aware that this is a negatively polarized system contributing to separation and not oneness, do I want to continue supporting that system? And so that's why spiritual awakening, true spiritual awakening, has to and must correlate to an awareness of the world you live in. Like it's not spiritual to just sit in your house and meditate all day and be totally oblivious to the world around you and the levels of corruption that you're committing every day, contributing to. The world is here for a reason, right? God created a world for you and I to live inside of, to be our reflection. And so all of the greed in me, all of the greed in all of us is being made manifest in these corporate systems and for-profit models. And so shadow work is equally the internal stuff we do to meet our darkness with love and awareness and the external, which really isn't external, right? But the world to meet those things with love and awareness. And as the Course in Miracles says, right? Anything that isn't love is a cry for help and healing. Mm. So we definitely shouldn't look at the corrupt systems in our world and say, evil, shame on you, you bad, bad people. Because we're that evil. We created it as a collective. But we should say, wow, all that corruption is really a cry for love. So how can I be a response to that cry for love? Yeah, and of course, the miracles, they say healing is a correction, which I really love. Of course, the miracles is so good and so radical. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just, 
I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. I am juggling quite a bit lately. <laughs> I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, if you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. <laughs> Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, uh, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, so let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, so I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L3 and 8. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time. Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. So when we think about the systems, you know, there's a lot of different systems that I think we want to talk about today. Healthcare is one of them. Our financial system is another one of them. I want to talk about those as it relates to how we think we got to a place where we have this insidious corruption. And I also want to just 
understand, like, do you guys think that we're in this place where we have money as the ultimate because we're hypnotized, because we inherently feel unsafe, and that is our understanding of what security is? Like, why do you guys think that we're so obsessed and worship money in the way that we do? Initially, what comes to mind is that, like, our identity is so wrapped up in money, where it is the accepted literal currency but also currency of here's what I do here is how successful I am and here is how I can prove it and so I think it's really hard for people to let go of that part of their identity or not make it a priority or the thing that they are working for because Mm -hmm. I think people need like that tangible very immediate validation of this is what I do in the world and this is the proof that I'm doing well in the world. Like a perceived purpose. Yeah. 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 And I feel like we've all, you know, had this experience with money where like I remember being in my 20s and being so broke at times Mm -hmm. and feeling so low, so sad, so unworthy of so many things, not just money. And I was always confused by that feeling because I'm like, but wait, why? It had mm-hmm. such a hold on me and such a chokehold. But I think people love to identify with something. And I feel like money is just a really easy and common way. Mm-hmm. I really think money, as we see it on planet Earth operating, is a direct manifestation of our belief in lack. Mm-hmm. That there's a limited supply of resources to go around. And so you get this wacky concept called debt, where somehow in an infinite universe of unending abundance, I can be in debt to you. You can be in debt to me. You owe me what? Everything's infinite and abundant. There's no lack of resources anywhere. So in in the law of one, in natural law, you can't be in debt. Debt is inherently scarcity consciousness, right? Mm. And money becomes, as soon as we think we're an ego, a separate self, money becomes one of the first things that will evolve out of that because lack, scarcity. There's a limited amount. We got to make that amount that's limited in a physical form that I can possess for myself. And so you get the, I am what I have identity. If I'm only as good as my bank account or the assets I own. And okay. So from that level of consciousness, you can see why everything turns into a for-profit system that corrupts everything because everyone thinks money is the most important thing in the world and that there's a limited amount of it and we're all fighting each other for it. So of course you get these competing corporate systems that, develop monopolies and eventually control all these systems. It's like ego consciousness is a black hole that has no ending to it. It always wants more. It's always absorbing into itself and it will never be satisfied. It, you'll never get enough money, right? Look at these families, yeah. the Rothschilds and Rockefellers. They're probably trillionaires. Yeah. And all that they're doing with every waking second of their life is how do I control more? It's like, you're not good yet, bro. Really? Like, so I think all maybe the you time need a hug or something mm-hmm. you know? with like Kardashians. <laughs> when is stuff. it enough? Yeah, with like the Kardashians, I'm like, guys, stop. Do we need Kardashian closet? Exactly. We just <laughs> literally, like, when they post I'm, their, they post know, their stuff like, on like Poshmark. Pardon me? It's called Kardashian closet. They like post their like clothes <laughs> to sell. I'm like, I'm like, donate them. Yo, <laughs> guys, you don't need to make like yeah. a quick money selling. I'm like, I guess you're recycling. I don't even know, but. Yeah. So our inherent belief in lack and people's identification with what they do or how much money they have is their purpose. I guess like I'm just trying to go back even further. Like, do we Mm -hmm. feel like from a cellular level, we've just been injected in the belief that we 
are lacking or like when did this happen? Because if we think back in history, was there such an obsession with money or was it more with power? When did the transition happen where now we're more in like the material world? Like Mm -hmm. material is God, money is God, wealth is number one. Rather than in the past in history, it was probably more about power, land ownership, or some things that might might have looked a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, like in Native American cultures, they don't understand what owning means. It's like a weird concept to them. Like, how could you own the spirit of creation, you know, land? You, how do you own land? It's already God's. So even owning is, in that sense, mm-hmm. a separate self-concept that only arises from ego. In terms of history, I'm not exactly sure when like money as a yeah. tangible currency developed. I know that we used to be in a barter and trade system. And really just because as humanity evolves, we need more efficient systems to do things, right? So if I sell apples or whatever, it's not super convenient for me to have to always carry around my apples to barter and trade if I need fish or bread or whatever. Mm. And likewise for everyone else. And so- At some point, maybe it was the Romans, I don't know, probably way before that, someone developed the idea that let's all agree on something that has inherent value, which is always precious metals, gold and silver. Let's make little tiny amounts of it that we can all possess and that we can trade those instead of our fish and our bread and our apples. So it's more convenient. But then even that outlived itself after a while because there's only so many bars of gold you can carry around with you. And it's pretty risky to carry gold around because you can get robbed, right? And have all your inheritance stolen from you in a second. So even the idea of carrying around gold and silver became a problem at a certain point. And so then we had to get one more step removed from reality, which is, okay, let's now make these gold and silver coins into paper IOUs. And then you can just carry around the paper, which is super light. You can carry a lot of it. You can travel from far lands and not have to haul you know, 500 pounds of gold with you to take all your assets with you. And then we'll put the Illuminati triangle on it. <laughs> and then we'll stick the Illuminati triangle on it and they'll own the world. And the end, that's how it happened. Yes, exactly. That's a fast forwarded version yes, though of how it, it actually is. happened. So that's when banks were introduced yeah. and banks is when the monetary system are all around the planet became very corrupt very quickly. Because let's think about it. Let's pretend you and I just came up with the first idea of a bank, which is again, hey, You guys are having issues transporting your gold and silver all around, and it's really heavy and inconvenient. I'll hold it for you. Well, we have safes in here behind vaults. We'll keep your money safe, and we'll give you paper IOUs that represent how much gold you have here. And anytime you want, you can come exchange a paper for a piece of gold. And all we're going to do is just charge you a little percentage off what you're storing so that we make a little money for the work we're doing, right? All fair so far. Sign the contract. Let's do it. And then you and I are like, hey, we got all this gold in here. Like we could probably use it to like, you know, barter and trade in the back door without, they, they don't have to know. We're just going to accumulate more gold. So it's good for everybody. But like, we'll use all this gold to start profiting behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like, let's lend the gold out and then charge interest on those loans. And then it was, let's lend out gold we don't actually have, this is called fractional reserve lending, which is the current system we have, where like everybody thinks a bank is a place where they keep your money for you. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Banks have no money at all. They have no credit or collateral of their own. When you deposit your money in a bank, they consider it 
and of course they don't tell you this, but they consider it a loan. You're loaning us your money so we can do whatever we want with it. You loaned it to us. So they go and they buy and trade bonds with it on the bond market. They make all kinds of money off of your money because they don't have any money themselves. And so they use your money to generate it for themselves without telling you about it. And so their rule is, as long as we're only loaning 10% of the money we actually have, then we're good. Like at least as long as everyone doesn't run to the bank at the same time and say, give us our money, we'll never have an issue with that. And so that's what happened in the ancient world where banks started doing this stuff where they would write out way more IOU notes, which we call paper money, than they actually had gold in their safes, right? And so at a certain point, if there was an economic downturn, people get a little nervous about where their gold is. So they say, hey, I'm going to take my gold out now. Here's all my IOU notes. And like 100 people do that at once. The bank has to admit that they've been bad actors, with the money they've been given. And they say, we don't have your guys' gold in here. We don't have any gold to give you. We traded it on the bond market. And so then you have people overthrowing banks in the ancient world, and they would literally hang these people in the public square because it's seen as like the most- The bankers? Yeah. Wow. The most dishonorable thing you can do to a man is to lie and steal his money and his inheritance from him. Mm. So it's like punishment by death, right? So banks had to learn how to get more and more crafty and clever with the way they did things. And so now we have this world today where bankers and banks own the entire world. The, the banks own our government because our government is insolvent and bankrupt to the banks, right? So technically, everything we see like the Biden administration doing, it's all the banks doing that thing, but they're just casting the orders behind the curtain you need to say this, we're going to war with these people. They're running the whole country because the, the US government is their debtor, right? They're in debt to the banks. When someone's your debtor, they're your slave. They do whatever you say. Wow. Because it's like trillions of dollars in debt. Yes. Aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, 36 trillion. And then the bank is owned, the Federal Reserve is owned by? The Federal Reserve is owned by the IMF, which is a European British organization. So, and this gets into the whole thing we won't go into because it's an entire podcast, but the United States is actually a British colony. We're owned by Britain, owned by the crown. We're not actually a sovereign, independent nation. We've been totally lied to about that in our history books. Britain gave us the illusion of sovereignty after the Revolutionary War. But if the more you study like the IRS, the mm -hmm. Federal Reserve, the IMF, everything financial whatsoever always goes back to the crown. And that's because the crown actually owns the United States, but they wanted to give us our dream of independence. And so they said, look, we'll sign these commercial contracts that all your banking systems are run by us, but you can just tell your people you're free or whatever. And so that's what we did. And we told everyone we were free and we sort of are, right? But there's a contract where we're signed to Europe without you and I knowing this, which is what it's allowing them it's like a foreign arm in America controlling our whole monetary system. And he who controls the money controls the country, right? So we're waking up now to this fact that, let's say the Federal Reserve Bank, the Federal Reserve Bank is not federal at all. They have no affiliation with the federal government. They are not a reserve. They don't have any reserves, as I said. And they're not a bank because they're a money printing company. They're a money printing company. They're a private for-profit business that named themselves Federal Reserve Bank because they had tried to do this two prior times in American history. And Andrew Jackson was like, I'm on to you guys. And he 
took the boot to them, man. Like he kicked them out of the country. He overthrew the banks. He was like, we're not letting this slave system happen here because what did they leave Europe for? Taxation without representation. They were just forcing their citizens to pay all these taxes for no reason. Like you guys aren't doing anything for us. We live like slaves in the mud and you tax us. Like this is not fair. And so they couldn't beat the system they were under because it was too powerful. So they all left to another country and that's how America was founded, right? We wanted to get away from this feudal debt slave system that had been controlling Europe for a thousand years. And then it was secretly set up here without us seeing it. By the Masons? Yes, there's a lot of groups. There's the Masons, there is the Jesuits is a big one in the Vatican and under the crown. I was going to say the Vatican because the crown goes back to the Vatican. Essentially, True? yes. Okay, But the Vatican's its own financial system. Yes. The Vatican is not a part of Rome, just like London's not a part of England. It's a sovereign city, nation state. Washington, D.C. is the third one of the three. It's also not part of the United States of America. It's a sovereign nation state yeah. that's owned by the corporation, United States. So this is where we get into the for-profit stuff, right? Mm. So Federal Reserve Bank, lie, lie, lie. None of those three things are true. It's a money printing company that did a deal with the government back in the early, I think, 1800s or something where they said, hey, you guys have this new government over all these people. Let's do a deal where we'll print your money, as much money as you want, and you'll get into debt to us for printing your money. And that's the perfect excuse you'll have to tax your citizens. Taxes go to paying off our debt. And we're all Americans, so it's all of our debt. So we all should want to pay our debt back and do our civic duty, right? That's the illusion that they sold the American people. And of course, it's not our debt. Like you and I didn't take out any loans from the Federal Reserve. They, they took out like, a, I think it was $21 million loan during the Civil War, I think, and or the Revolutionary War from the banks. Because they're like, hey, we don't have money to pay for all this military equipment and stuff. And soldiers, like, can we take a loan out? And they were like, sure, but it's going to be at a high interest rate. And the interest rate was so astronomically high that it was obvious it was a deal that they both parties clearly wanted to get into an eternal debt because there's a mutual interest there. We'll keep this illusion that we're in debt to you, so we have to pay it back, and then we can tax our citizens. You print our money, we give you the taxes. We're all good. We both win. So this is why paying income tax is something a lot of people are waking up to, like myself, no longer doing so because 100% of your income taxes go to the Federal Reserve, which then goes to the IMF and then to the Crown. 100% of your tax money, federal tax money, goes to elite banking families that are oligarchs around the world that own all the money already. And another rabbit hole we don't have to get into is what they do with that money. Child trafficking, funding wars, drug running. They do the most insidiously corrupt things we know of on this planet with your tax money. So it's one of those questions, again, once I really know, and you have to see it for yourself, don't take my word for it, go research it. But once you do see that, yeah, all my tax money goes to fund these bankers who do horrible things to humanity, can I in good conscience continue paying taxes? And thankfully, there's very lawful, powerful solutions to unvolunteering from the tax system if that's a road you're feeling called to, because taxes are voluntary. You have to actually volunteer to be a taxpayer to then be obligated to pay your taxes. So there is an obligation to pay taxes, but it's only because there's a contractual obligation. And that contractual obligation is the topic of the legal fiction. 
right? The all capitals name that they assign you at birth, where they make your name into a corporation because they're dealing only in the corporate realm. It's all business. So they make a business out of your name at birth. They assign it a dollar value, $5 million, I think is where it starts. And then every time you sign anything, they're taking it that you're signing for the all caps name, the legal fiction, right? So the name on your driver's license, your social, your birth certificate is the first one. If you sign any document where your name is in all caps, you have said, yes, I am the legal fiction, the corporate business, and I give you permission to do this thing. And so, of course, it's fraud, right? It's deception because we see our name and we think it's me, the living man or woman, but it's not. It's a fictional entity, a corporation that they made out of your name at birth. That's what they call it, a legal name, right? Yes. Yeah. The word corporation uh, in etymology, corpse, which is like the dead. Mm-hmm. And then what's oration means? Speak. Speak. So corporation literally means the dead speaking or dead speak. So like a corporation is a dead entity that doesn't actually exist. Facebook, Instagram, McDonald's, right? Does Mr. Facebook go to court to testify when they, when Facebook gets called into court? No. Mark Zuckerberg goes in, right? And he speaks on behalf of Facebook. Because there is no Mr. Facebook, right? Like the Facebook logo doesn't walk into court and start answering all the questions because it's not real. So they made a not real fake entity out of your name that they knew they could trick you into signing the rest of your life. And that's why when it comes to the money conversation, this is such a huge red pill for people, but your signature is what creates money. And you have never borrowed money from anybody. You've never borrowed money from a bank, an institution, a credit card. You've never, ever borrowed money. They've always borrowed your money and then loaned it to you and signed a contract with you that you're going to pay them back for that loan. They just didn't tell you that it was your credit that they took to begin with. The $5 million from the legal entity. Yes. It's called your treasury direct account. And it's essentially, some people call it the SESTA-QV trust. It's a trust fund that is held by the the SSA, the Social Security Administration, the IRS, the Treasury, they hold a Treasury direct account that is basically your human labor in a dollar value. So you ask the question, they took money off the gold standard in 1933. Under the Emergency Banking Relief Act, Roosevelt said, everyone has to send in their gold to us because we got to pay for this war or whatever. But don't worry, we'll consider you guys debt-free. We'll remove all your debts for you and stuff. So they promised a lot of good things. This is what they always do, right? Promise you some good things in exchange for some of your freedom. So a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people turned in their gold to the U.S. Treasury. And then the the dollar was no longer backed on gold anymore. So now there's nothing of value actually backing the dollar, which is where you get into real dangerous territory, right, with money. Because then they can just be like someone playing Monopoly who has a Monopoly printing machine in the corner and they're just printing out bills like crazy. Which is what they're doing now. Mm -hmm. No matter how good you are at Monopoly, you're not going to beat them. They're cheating. So now they can cheat with money and use it as an enslavement mechanism. If we can somehow pool all this money to a tiny percentage of people that are at the top that are running the show, the elites as we call them, then everyone else will be poor and they'll be in debt to us, the rich people, and so we'll have slavery. And so we think the Civil War ended slavery, but it just made slavery commercial. We're all commercial slaves on a commercial plantation in America because the government literally considers all of us debtors. That's why debt is such a big deal in like the credit world. Like credit 
bureaus, you have uh, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, the credit reporting agencies, how do you increase your credit score by getting into debt? Oh, but really? The more I debt thought it you makes have, it worse. No. No, because then when you pay off if the If you debt, don't pay your that, debt. That increases your credit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they want you to have lots and lots of debt and, and be a good payer. Wow. It off. If you don't have any debt, you can't have a great credit score because they're like, prove to us you're good with debt. Wow. Because you know? credit's just debt. They're loaning you wow. your own credit and turning it into a debt. So right. the reason that it's your money is because these very intelligent people before 1933, when they actually rolled out the plan, is they said, what's even more valuable than gold? And the only obvious answer is people, right? You and I are way more valuable than a bar of gold is. A bar of gold can't start a business mm. or take out a loan or make a product or sign a contract or do anything, but a person can. And so the idea became, how do we collateralize human labor from birth and make that what the dollars backed on? Of course, without telling anyone. You don't want the slaves to know that they're slaves, right? And so they did that without telling anyone through the 1933 Emergency Banking Relief Act. And from then on, everyone that's born is assigned a treasury direct account, which is your social security number. Got that's it. the routing number. And they give you a dollar value of, let's say, $5 million now. Yeah. It used to be $1 million in the 70s. And they say, this person's at least going to have about $5 million worth of human labor go through them. Every loan you'll ever take out, every contract you'll sign, business, payment, income, all of it goes into that value. So every cent that will go through Krista Williams in her lifetime belongs to us. So that just like the banks who now have everyone's gold yes. in their vaults, and they're like, hey, they don't have to know that we're going to go trade that gold and yes. make money from it. That's why. They want to collateralize your human labor and then go trade it on the bond market. So they literally make a, they, they it's called securitizing your birth certificate. Okay your social security card, it all has a financial okay. value to it. And then they go trade that. So basically at birth, you're assigned the $5 million to the treasury. They don't tell you about it. Yes. And then behind the scenes, they're basically like selling it on the market. Or they're assuming, I guess, with the $5 million that you will do a certain amount of labor in your lifetime. So that basically, because we don't know, it keeps us in a way of debt. How? Bingo. So you are the creditor, not the debtor. And it's a perfect spiritual parallel, right? All the value comes from your own being. Like money is based on your being, right? They saw you come into this world and they said, that's an inherently valuable being. It's worth at least $5 million. As like a contributor to society over a lifetime. Yes, because you're okay. going to produce a ton of value for society. You're going to have a job. You're going to work. You're going to make things. You might be an Elon Musk for all we know. Like you've got right. potential right. just because you exist. So there's some spiritual truth to that. But where they corrupt it is they say, let's not tell them about it. Because like they could have been honest and said, hey, we make treasury direct accounts out of all your names. We make your name into a corporation. We assign it a dollar value and then we trade it on the bond market and make millions off of it. They could have told us that and said, we'll split it 50-50. You take half of the funds in the account. We'll use the other half to trade and make money from and we'll both be happy. They absolutely could have done that, right? And that'd be a system we all win under. But- they said, we're going to not tell you, we're going to take 100% of it, and then we're going to tax you on 30 to 40% of the little tiny amount of money that you make in your lifetime. We're even going to take a little bit of that out of the pie. So it's just total greed and desire for power that 
again, this evolved slowly, right? Over like hundreds of years. It wasn't just like some mustache twirling villain thought of this yeah. plot right. on his lair one night and then exacted it on humanity. It's just like every generation takes that corrupt system the next step further. I want a little bit more money now. And they just keep inching it until we yeah. have this megalithic structure that we see today in our country. And we're just at the place of like, all right, we have no choice but to wake up to this giant monster in the room with us and say, how are we going to heal this and bring a positive change to it? What if you were lent to the government? I want my $5 million. They'll say, what are you talking about? I need a little bit more proof about the $5 million. Not that I'm a proofer, mm -hmm. but like, what do you, <laughs> like, how would we know that that's real? So there's a lot of ways to sort of verify for yourself. Number one, I've learned under a lot of people that, let's say, used to work for the IRS or the SSA, and they now teach common law and stuff because they realized how the system works and are like, I got to tell humanity about this. And they'll confirm like, this is what I did for a living. I, I took money and funds to and from people's treasury direct accounts as an SSA agent. So there's a lot of people that like, from their own direct personal experience, talk about this, but you don't even need that because there is a website that unfortunately now, I wonder if it's because of the YouTube video I posted, but it's <laughs> called gmeiutility.org, which is a, a bond market tracking website, essentially. It used to be free and you could just go to the search bar at the upper right-hand corner, punch in your social security number, and it will pull out a list of every company that's ever traded your social security fund, the company name, where they're from, the date, everything, a financial transaction. So I punched mine in last year at some time and literally put in my social security number and it shows traded by this many companies. And it was over 48,000 companies over the course of my life have traded the bond that contains my social security account in it. So a bond is like, if you're a really big financial player, you don't want to be trading like $1,000 stocks. That's like little league stuff. You want to be trading millions of dollars worth of stocks, hundreds of millions, billions even, right? Because you've got a lot of money you can play the game with now. So big, huge corporations, they make money by trading on the bond market. Individuals, we make money by trading on the stock market. The bond market is 10 times bigger than the stock market in terms of revenue and value. That's because only the Elon Musks of the world, right? The big players with big corporations that have hundreds of millions have enough money to actually trade on that market. And they bond our social securities, our birth certificates, these financial instruments that the system made out of our name. They put them all into these bonds so that the value increases. So like all three of our social accounts together would be like billions of dollars versus like 300 million a piece, right? So that's how they accumulate wealth to, to trade with, right? And so we're not told about this, which is why it's fraudulent because it's actually called securities fraud to make a financial instrument out of somebody's name and then not notify them. It also causes us to commit tax evasion because we're technically supposed to be paying taxes on this financial instrument, our birth certificate and social that has our name on it. It's part of the tax code. So like they're forcing us to commit tax evasion and securities fraud. And so there's people going into court now using that as leverage to get their cases dismissed. One of the teachers I have learned under Robert Michael kind of does this part-time as he litigates for people in court. And he just goes into court and brings in the proof that if you can believe it, they also bond court cases. Every single thing you can imagine, prison sentences, court cases, medical patients, Everybody gets bonded in, in a financial value. So like how much value is this prisoner going to be worth? They got to eat every day. They got to house them. So prisoners, this is why the prison system is super corrupt because they make billions of dollars by putting people in cages. 
because it's expensive to keep people in cages, right? So there's a certain dollar value that they assign to that prison sentence. And if it's a 100-year sentence, it's going to be worth more than a two-year sentence, right? So it's like stocks that they just trade and they make financial instruments out of them. And so as we wake up to this, we have to ask that question of, okay, so what do I do to stop participating in this very corrupt system? And it really just starts with basic status correction and knowing who you are. I am not the all caps name. That's a legal fiction or a legal ego. I'm not the ego. I am the divine self who our founding fathers said are created equal under God and endowed by our creator with unalienable rights, right? You have to know that about yourself. Freedom is absolutely an inner state of being that you can't get from anything external. And so a lot of people, when they hear about this, they'll get panicked and say, quick, give me a process to correct my status and get out of that system. That isn't going to save you because as long as you are still living like a slave in your mind, if you're living with the slave mind and outsourcing your power and authority all the time, they'll keep tricking you into signing as the legal fiction your whole life. You have to really get this on a spiritual level, which is what excites me about teaching natural law and common law because it is so inherently spiritual like to get this stuff although it, it is very intellectually dense as you guys can see there's a lot to it but it's a hundred percent spiritual meaning it doesn't matter how much knowledge you gain on the 3d if you don't know who you are internally the system will always enslave you because mm. you'll always run back to your master to outsource your power mm. again right yeah, that's what I was thinking about. I'm like anyone who's like, oh, I want a process. And I totally agree with you. It's like understanding the process. If you don't have the stamina or power within to be able to withstand doing a process like this to unsubscribe mm -hmm. from paying taxes or the government or no longer be a legal entity as a person, like you would never last. Right. Because there's probably so much fear mongering. And yeah, I think the financial system for me you know, when I think about my like life path and my lessons, I'm like, I don't know if this is one I would go down because I'm like, I don't know if I would have the inner strength or sovereignty to be like, to trust myself in covering every base mm -hmm. to unsubscribe from this type of system. That's why community is so important, by yeah. the way. Yeah. yeah. Like, don't do this alone. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have like a community, well, I feel like you're, you're probably leading some sort yeah. of, <laughs> you are. But yeah, I, I am stuck on that, the listener who's hearing this and saying like, okay, like I'm definitely on this path of wanting to more spiritually understand this and also unsubscribe from this. And tactically, how can I live in this world? You know, kind of like be in this world and yeah. have either the job that I have or kind of evade the system in a way that won't drive me crazy or like get me ostracized from yeah. all things. Well, what you're talking about is living in the private. So everything that's commercial, like we've been talking about that has to do with the monetary system, it's yeah. the public sector. So the, the way that I woke up to all this is from the pandemic of 2020, when I started watching the way that politicians and bureaucrats of all kinds were just like steamrolling our constitutional rights with no fear or trepidation at all. They're like, we know this is going to work. We're going to take all your rights. And what are you going to do about it? And I was so shocked by that. First of all, I didn't at that time think that there was that level of corruption in humanity, like maybe a few bad eggs, but there's no way entire systems of our country 
will all work together to enslave. Like, that's a, a movie plot or something. And lo and behold, it happened. And I had to wake up to like, okay, what am I not seeing about the world I live in? Mm. Why did I have such a grandiose picture of the world that clearly wasn't accurate? And that's what got me into researching common law. Cause it's like, what doesn't the law say that we have unalienable rights that no one can take? Like what, where is this in the law? And then quickly I found myself studying from law teachers who were explaining, we do have a real law system that is just based upon natural law. It's called common law or the law for mankind, which acknowledges all are created equal. It's basically the law of do no harm. That's common law. Where is it from? Like where does it originate? So it originated from England, actually, under the feudal system. It was a, a law system created from the Bible. When people say that like our constitution, our law form is based on the Bible, that's absolutely true. Because it's not that the constitution gives us our rights. They don't come from the constitution. The constitution gets them from the Bible and the laws that are written in the Bible about who God is and what our relationship to God is and what is good and what is righteous. But even the Bible doesn't give us our laws either because the Bible and its writings only reflect natural law. And that's why the founding father said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It's everywhere written in the universe that all are created equal. Everything works from cooperation and harmony. Every piece of the puzzle of the universe is equally important. When we take any piece of the puzzle away, reality collapses on itself. Everything is equal under God. And only God has the power to give those rights. No man can take or give rights to another. That's inherent. That's natural law. So biblical writers reflected that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus really embodied that law when he said, hey, guys, I didn't even actually come here to abolish the law, although you guys think <laughs> hey I <guys>. did. <laughs> Everybody chill. <laughs> Y'all got it twisted. Like, yes. I came here to fulfill the law because the law... People thought the law was man's laws. So like if you read mm. Leviticus, like all these crazy laws about don't eat this food, don't touch that thing. If you do this, bathe seven times. It's all man's laws. That's not natural law. Where in creation do you see bathe seven times if you touch a pig or something? Yeah. <laughs> you don't. That's why the Bible, it's like I've studied it a little bit, but I always like love when people quote it and talk about it because I want to learn more. But I, it's like whenever I get into it, you're like, one sentence, you're like, wow, that's the most powerful thing you've ever heard. Then yeah. you read the next and you're like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, honestly, Seriously. There's just so much distortion as we know in it. Yeah. It's hard to see what from what. Yeah, because it's got eternal truth and totally egoic man-made stuff in Crazy. it. Crazy. But so that's what natural law is. It's what we can see is already self-evident and true. All things are one in harmony with God. All things are part of God. Is it like hermetic? Yeah, totally in that okay. sense. Okay. So common law is the law of, as Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's where we say do unto others, right? Or mm. do no harm. So common law is very simple. It's you are the highest status in the universe. There's nothing that has power over you, but do no harm. If you do harm to someone, you have to make remedy for that harm. So common law gets into how do we make remedy? If I run over your lawn and destroy your front lawn and you give me a claim and say, hey, I saw you drive on my lawn, I require remedy of $10,000 to build a new lawn with. And then if we don't settle man to man, woman to woman, if we don't settle that, then we take it to a judge who can help mediate what seems right and fair. It's like, like karma too. Mm. It's like karma? Karma just in the way of like, it's like the balance of you do something. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like us taking karma into our own hands yes. and trying mm. to make resolution for it. Yeah. 
And so a judge isn't supposed to get involved before two living people have tried to work it out together. Just like Jesus said, right? If your brother sins against you, go to him directly and attempt to work it out. If that doesn't work, bring in another brother who can help mediate. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yeah. But I guess where did we lose the confidence in ourselves to be able to do that or like mm -hmm. innate knowing that we can do that? I guess it is the outsourcing to the power or it's like, oh, we're just going to go to this guy. He'll do it for us. To do that for us. And we're totally forgetting our ability. I mean, it in a very simple way and like everyday way, it's like that ability to have like hard conversations. It's like yep. that just feeling of. I can't do this. I can't connect on a human to human level, like not trusting self to be able to do that mm -hmm. and kind of outsourcing more to like the distortions of what's happening and kind of feeding into that. But yeah, it's why not everyone's ready to be free because yeah. you know, to be free means to yeah. be self-responsible. Yeah. So you'll like this distinction. Being free doesn't mean you can do whatever you want necessarily. You can, but it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want without consequences. So the positive polarity is do no harm. The negative polarity is, do what thou wilt. That's the Freemason slogan, do what thou wilt. It's like, whatever makes you happy is the right thing to do. And if it comes at the cost of someone else, too bad for them. They can stick up for themselves too. It's still yeah. like a no victim universe in that sense. We were in a conversation with someone yesterday and they're in like a situation with someone dating and they're like, yeah, I don't really care. It's not serious. I can't see it going anywhere. I'm like, you know that this person very well sees this as something that's serious mm -hmm. that they, and they're like, well, that's not my problem because it's not. And I was like, oh, but you're aware of that desire on the other person. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? I've been I guilty like, of that one. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. I mean, but it was like a very do what thou wilt scenario. But yeah, I will never forget in love one where Ra talks about all the ways in which we're enslaved. Yeah. They were basically asking Ra in the Law of One channelings like about the enslavement of humanity. And Ra was like, you guys don't even know. Y'all don't even know. Y'all yeah. don't even know. He's like, I can't even, I don't even have time to tell you. <laughs> you got another book in like, you. <laughs> like, yeah, literally. He's like, I'm tired. You're tired. It's hard to be here. What's really funny about that passage is that they were just talking about ancient third density planets way before the veil of forgetting was evolved yet, where they had full knowledge of the creator and oneness and stuff. And then Dawn asks Rob, is there any unconscious enslavement going on at this time? Because I think Ross says, back in those planets, there was no enslavement of any kind. And Dawn's like, is there any unconscious enslavement going on now? And Ra thought they meant like on the planet they're discussing. Like at that time, was there enslavement? And Ra's like, no, none or whatever. And Dawn's like, come on, really? There's no enslavement on our planet right now? And Ra's like, Oh, you were talking about your planet. Oh, <laughs> your planet is so corrupt. I don't even know how to put words to it, is literally mm. Ra's response. That's hilarious. Mm. When we talk about the financial system is a really big one, and I think that one's going to be coming up this year. What do you see as, as far as that, what's going to happen in this year and the next couple of years as far as it relates to our financial system? The more corrupt something is, the more entropy it creates over time. What does the entropy mean again? Entropy means the lack of order. Okay. Entropy, you could dumb it down to chaos, chaos yeah. randomness. Uh -huh. It breaks things down over time. So the more entropy is in the body, the more lack of order there is, disease will form from that lack of order. Disease is just the lack of order, right? It's not something other than the body. It's just the body in a lack of order because the body is made to be in order. So money is coming to its sort of last gasping breath on our planet. 
because it's been so weaponized, so distorted, you know, fraudulently used that the system is caving in on itself. And it actually has caved in on itself many times, but they always find a way to recycle and start over again, bailing the banks out or whatever. And so we're seeing a collapse like we never have seen before because there's way more money in circulation now. I think I saw a stat that said 40% of all money that exists now was printed in the last two years. That's wow. insane. That's so wild. Wow. Yeah. I think we all see inflation too. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. And they're muting it as much as they can. Oh, yeah. It's actually much worse than Why we see. are they muting it? They don't want us to know yet how bad it is. So they're going to wait yeah. till one moment. Because there'd be a run on the banks. Everybody would panic. Okay. So it's like, oh, inflation, bummer. It, you know, it's getting up there. But as Biden kept saying, like, don't worry, inflation won't be a problem. It's like, it's already a problem, Joe. But yeah. he's like, don't worry, don't worry. That's what the bankers told me to say. Like, they're just speaking for what the banks want them to say at this point. So they're trying to disguise what's happening, which is always whenever there is a financial collapse like 2008 in a working economy with people who only want to do the right thing with money and want to build an economy that works to all of our best interest, you would never, ever see a financial collapse in that economy. Why would we all choose to collapse our own economy at the same time? It's just like saying if a healthy family is living in a house, the house will never get destroyed or burnt down mm. as long as they're living in it. It's like they're going to be good stewards of it. If it burns down, something has gone wrong. And so they, again, it's another way of not educating us, we could say, on how things really work. But they always act like, whoops, the economy's collapsing again. This is just darn thing economies do. They just collapse every so often. And that's totally removed from reality. Like what in reality collapses all the time? Like everything is built on order and structure in reality. So it's manipulated and it's calculated to be a, another profiteering avenue where they can create this massive market collapse and panic, and then they can swallow up all the wealth while that collapse is happening. And so over time, we see this crazy wealth disparity where like 0.1% of people now own 90% of all the wealth in existence. That doesn't happen on accident and it doesn't happen without a ton of corruption. Because if we're all playing Monopoly, we all need money to live. Nobody really wants money less than another person in that sense, because we all have basic needs we want met. So how do we get to a point where like one person out of a million people has 99% of the money? He probably cheated, right? There's no way that could happen without some cheating involved. And that's the reason we see that kind of wealth disparity is because the financial system has been this extremely corrupt for-profit industry that we have not been educated about. Like how much did you learn about this in school? Zero. 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 Fact, about, money, about money, zero. Yeah. That's one way to quantify the most important information to know about is what they don't teach you in school. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Finances, emotional trust intelligence. Law, emotional intelligence. Awareness, self-awareness. How to treat animals good. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. How to be a good parent and really like about how to take care of yourself. I feel like yeah. there's so much around like performance in school and how to like do mm -hmm. well. And they're not really taking into account the whole person and the whole system of nutrition of um, like you're mm -hmm. saying, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I went to a law summit a few weeks ago in Temecula and it was five days of eight hours a day, eight to 5 p.m of class, of just learning about law and history and all the stuff I'm talking about. And I was like, dude, I love law, 
And even I can't sit here for eight hours and learn and absorb. No. My brain is fried after no. four hours. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we do this to children. Children. And, and think then that we they like can hold give the them attention Adderall. Oh yeah, you can't focus for eight hours. We got to put you on Adderall. Yes. Under artificial light. Yes, in a box. Yep. yep. At a yeah. seat. Of the many philosophers I listen to, Jordan Peterson is one of them. And he says that kids who they put on ADHD medication over time in his practice, he's seen most of them just need more play. He's like most yes. even humans, adults, children, yeah. especially boys when they want to put boys on Adderall and Ritalin just need more play. What a crazy metric is it even to say like, how long can you hold your attention on one thing? I mean, totally. You know, like maybe that's actually a good thing at a certain age, like maybe a, a young child who's still learning about the universe about them. Yeah. Maybe we want them to be really curious and move their attention all over the yeah. place for a while, gather in the reality they're in. And then as they grow older, there'll be a natural focusing on the things that are wanted and chosen. Mm -hmm. But a child should just be like absorbing reality for the first 10 years of their life. Yeah. And to stick them in a stuffy classroom with artificial light for eight hours and say, if you move around too much, you're bad. Like it's the worst possible way to treat children yes. and to educate children. Because yeah. it's honestly like a kind of trauma, isn't it? Yep. You're yes. like, I don't have a choice here to not be forced into this classroom to learn things I don't want to learn about. And we have to repress that. It's like a very early kind of subtle indoctrination into what is not really reality and mm -hmm. like very far removed from how God yeah. created learning yeah. to be like. It's also like us just being at a nine to five job from the age of ten. It, it is five exactly days that. a week, eight hours a day, fluorescence, lights, desk. Uninspired. It's job, training. it's job training. They want to train good yep. workers. That's so good slaves, right? Good slaves. Like so crazy. People's so heads are spinning. When I think about our school system, it's hard because I know so many amazing women in our community that are teachers. And I it's like I always I like cry when I talk to teachers because I'm like, I know you went in for the right reason because you yeah. want to serve. And just like want, doctors. Just like doctors. Yeah. You know, you want to serve, you want to help people, you have that deep desire. And then it's just really the system that's sort of corrupting us or corrupting them. And then sometimes a lot of them get out because they're like, I'm burnt out. It's like not a fit. Yeah. Like their genuine desire can't be expressed through the system that they're trying to express it through. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing teachers out there who have the best intentions and they, they definitely work outside of the structure they're given to deliver what they think is real education. Sometimes they get in trouble, but there's also a lot of weaponizing of education that we see now, right? Teachers forcing ideologies onto children way, way, way before they're at the age they should even be thinking about this stuff and not consenting to the parents about it. Like I remember being in seventh grade, they gave me a sheet to take home to have my parents sign to say, hey, we're going to teach sex ed this month. Do you want your child in our sex ed class? If not, sign here and we'll put them in like a computer class or whatever and they don't have to attend, right? So they gave the parents full consent. But as this legal fiction thing has been weaponized more and more, everyone's made into a legal fiction from birth. Your birth certificate is like the title to you, the legal fiction, just like your car title is the title to your vehicle, who proves who has ownership. And that's why the original BC goes back to the US Treasury and they keep it. Think about that. Your birth certificate goes to the Treasury. I thought it was just a legal document to identify me. No, it's a financial instrument that's worth a lot of money. And they keep those birth certificates in a safe somewhere, very well protected. It goes back to this concept called Admiralty Maritime Law, which is commercial law. It's called Admiralty Maritime because it's the law of the sea. So it's like the ocean sea jurisdiction of law. 
where barter and trade and commercial trade had been happening by boat for like thousands of years, going back to Atlantis and stuff. So there had to be a law system, right, that regulates commerce on the ocean. And so people bring their products to and from countries and they have a little legal document that they sign to say this was delivered on this date by this person, stamp, sign, send it back. So there's like confirmation that your products aren't being stolen and stuff. So Admiralty Maritime Law is real law system that our country and countries like Australia, Canada, England, all over the world, this is the real law system that we're secretly under that no one knows we're under because again, they don't tell us about this. They keep selling us this illusion that we live under the constitution and yet we watch them treading all over our constitutional rights every day. We're like, hey, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And they're like, sorry, bud. And they just go on their merry way. It's like, that's because there is a different law system that these people are obeying. And we better wake up and figure out what that law system is if we're ever going to start transcending it. And it's basically commerce or commercial law, which is all about contracts. So we all know if you sign a contract, you're obligated to do whatever that contract says. You signed it, you agreed, and there's no getting out of that. And if you try to get out of it, there's going to be some bad consequences. So again, you didn't sign your birth certificate because you weren't old enough to sign something yet, but your mom signed it for you and you were her property. She birthed you. There's all these water words involved. Birthing like B-E-T-R-T-H, birthing a vessel on, uh, on the ocean, right? Vessels are like, they consider you a vessel. Under the definition of the word person, it actually says vessel. You're docked by the dock tender at the dock. The dock tender receives the product, which is you, right? You're the collateral that they financialize. And so it's all these water words that have that come out of the etymology of where this system was developed, which was way back when we did commerce by sea. And they use that law system now to get everybody under their contract. So when you sign your driver's license, your social security, there's these fine terms that we don't see, like even on the social security card, if you zoom way in, you'll see these terms that say, basically, this is property of the state now. So I am property of the state. So they hold title to you and they treat you like uh, somebody who signed a contract with them. So if you don't obey all their corporate bylaws, you're a bad employee, basically, and they're going to exact consequence on you. And that's how they did it in the pandemic with you can't shop here if you don't have this or that vaccine card or whatever. Well, they can't do that under common law, but if you have signed- Or that, the constitution, right? Or the constitution, because it's based under common law, but- yeah. If you've entered a contract with those people, the state, right, who are the ones trying to exact these unjust laws, then you don't have the right to opt out of their corporate bylaws. And so that's why being a U.S. citizen is kind of the trap that we all fall into because they call it U.S. citizen, which sounds great. But even the word citizen, C-I-T-I, the etymology of that city means like municipal. And then Zen means a servant of. So citizen means a servant of the state or a servant of the corporation. And so they made a corporation out of the United States. When you see the all caps, United States, that's the private for-profit business called United States. That's the business that's giving all the billions of dollars to Ukraine right now. It's a financial transaction. It has nothing to do with law or justice or something like that. It's all business these guys are doing. And their business model is war and pretending to be a government, right? The word government, the etymology of govern is to rule, right? 
ment comes from the Latin word mental, which means mind. So government means to rule the mind. So a government itself is a psyop. It's a psychological operation to create an illusion of authority where we tell you what to do and you have an obligation to obey. So we're all born into that world. And so we think it's natural to say, oh, yes, master, and, and do whatever Mr. Government says. And that's why it can be a tough red pill for people to swallow as if they've been doing this their whole life, especially if they went and fought a war for that government, thinking it was for a just cause. It's a tough pill to swallow that the people I thought were good, trustworthy authorities are actually like crooked villains who are profiting from me and everyone on earth and doing horrible things. I don't want to acknowledge that that's true. That's like spiritual bypassing, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's also, they give us the illusion of choice. Yes. Yeah. So what's the illusion of choice? Because I think that's super interesting because I think that's something people can also see very easily in their life, how we believe that we're free through the illusion of choice. Yeah. Well, a good example is obviously presidential elections. This is why I don't vote because I'm not interested in voting for who gets to rule over me. I rule myself because I'm a self-governing divine being. Nobody tells me what to do, and I do no harm to anyone. And if I do harm, I always make remedy. So I'm righteous. I'm under no laws but God's when I live that way. Who are you to tell me how to live? You're a corporation that, just like Mark Zuckerberg, right, is the front face of Facebook's corporation. He speaks for the dead entity Facebook. The president speaks for the dead entity United States. That is literally unimaginably corrupt. You wouldn't be able to wrap your mind around the things that we call it the deep state, whatever word you want to use. The things that these groups of people do with our money and how they make money, you wouldn't truly be able to comprehend it if you could, if you knew. So do we want to keep contributing to that kind of corruption on our planet when all of you and I and everybody listening, we want a planet of unity and love and service to others. And so it's not a matter of fighting anybody. The evil out there is the evil in here. I don't look at the Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab's go, how does someone get that evil? I just can't believe it. Those are unuseful thoughts. If there's any greed in me at all, I don't have any right to point the finger at someone else who's greedy. They've just acted on that energy more than I have, but I have the same energy in me. So once I do transcend my greed and I forgive that part of myself that's greedy and I love it and bring it into my sense of self, now the greed doesn't have the ability to run me any longer. And when I notice someone else who's greedy, it's not that I even have to be compassionate. You guys know this. There's just this natural like, ah, they just can't be judged for it. Like I was like that too and I couldn't see it. So we literally just lose the ability to judge, but that doesn't mean we lose discernment and it doesn't mean we lose the passion to create righteousness and truth in the world. In fact, that passion grows. And so we just don't go about exacting that kind of change by fighting the system, protest, right? We just start building new systems. We just start raising awareness like we're doing in this conversation to say, hey, we're all in this together. And we should probably acknowledge that we're headed off a cliff right now. We're going in a really bad direction. And if someone you love is biking down a hill towards a cliff, wouldn't you try to stop them to save their life? Of course you would. That's the loving thing to do. So we're just trying to warn humanity, ourselves, that we're headed off a cliff and if we all see that and make the choice together, just like Ra says, in one fine moment of unity, humanity could completely change in reverse direction. And you know what, guys? I think we might be seeing the beginning of that with the pandemic and all the things that have happened, all the corruption that's being exposed. 
people are waking up so fast, it's making my head spin. Mm. And I'm like, what does this look like in 20 years? If this knowledge and awakening keeps happening, we would have a fully awakened planet that's going to be consciously together trying to move in a different direction, in a positive direction. Are you seeing any of the holes in this system be exposed to the point? Because I, I even see things like, yes. <laughs> yeah, in the media. I know you see it. Yeah. But I'm saying on a scale to which a lot of people can see it, not just those mm-hmm. that like like to go down the rabbit hole. Like it's like how yeah, yeah. yeah not your aunt on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. I see little drips in the media sometimes, but I can't even, you know, mm-hmm. I, I never really like trust trust, but. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that's interesting that they covered that story that it kind of points to the corruption over here. I didn't think they would do that. So I guess what are you seeing that gives you that mm-hmm. hope and idea that this is the beginning of potentially a, a flip or a transition? Another great question. So this is like when people first start hearing about this, it's kind of hard to quantify what's obvious to someone because there's people out there right now scrolling through social media that if you tried to tell them that like the media is corrupted and they tell us lies to control the way we think about stuff, they'd be like, no, what? Are you serious? Like it'd be a shock to them. So it's like, are the, there's no doubt in my mind and in my awareness that Babylon is crumbling before our eyes and they're panicked as you can imagine and doing what they can to gather up the shifting sands and keep this thing afloat as long as possible because it's coming down. But it's obvious to me, but like, what does that mean to someone who doesn't even really know how dishonest media is? It's not obvious at all to them. So it's all just a spectrum of awareness, obviously. But I think more and more people are because of the internet, because of amazing podcasts like this, where we can have these kind of conversations. This information that expands awareness is getting out there so fast since the advent of the internet that it's really hard to keep things a dirty little secret now, like they used to be able to before the internet information travels at the speed of light now. And so we can all notify each other from all around the world about what things we're seeing and stuff. So I think the internet kind of signifies the beginning of humanity's awakening to the reality of the situation we're in. Like before the internet, we would have never had a chance to catch on to these people who are very intelligent and create very intelligent ways of enslavement. But like in terms of what things am I seeing that are like the cracks in the dam? Well, From the law space, I'll tell you that the legal system that is, again, a private for-profit business pretending to be a legal system and a justice system, they're panicking because more and more people every day are going into courts, understanding what's really happening in a court setting, which nobody, everybody thinks that they're there to answer to a authority figure who's going to exact a judgment on them. And it's all fraud and corruption. And you don't even have to participate in it, but you have to know how to articulate that right? So that takes knowledge. But people are going into courts now and just flipping the whole court on its head, demanding proof of jurisdiction and all this stuff that nobody used to do before. And this is how their little secrets have leaked out so much is we talked about the water concept that everything in their mind is in the water. We're all underwater doing business on the ocean, right? That's our law form. Well, they consider you to be lost at sea from birth and a what's called a minor, so somebody under 18 years old. And this is the way that they justify keeping your treasury direct account hidden from you because they're under, it's a trust, like I said. In a trust, there's the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary. Beneficiary is the one to whom all the assets are promised and belong. 
So the beneficiary of a trust has what's called equitable title. They have equity to those assets. The trustee is the one who's been entrusted to manage and protect the assets until the time where they're given to the beneficiary. So the trustee has legal title over those assets. So the way they justify not telling you that you're the beneficiary of a treasury direct account that has millions of dollars in it, because it's based on how much money you're worth, is that they say, well, this person is lost at sea. And they say, and uh, we have no proof that they're not still a minor unless they notify us of that. So obviously nobody told you you were lost at sea from birth or that even though we're in our 30s now, the system still considers us a minor. And so here's what's really interesting. And this is where the whole thing collapses is that the definition of a minor in Black's law, yeah, you can find it in UCC law, US codes. A minor is someone who is under the age of 18 and or one who has not laid claim to the securities of their estate. So you haven't claimed your estate and, and you're still considered a minor because you haven't claimed it yet. So the system considers all of us minors and lost at sea. So the question is, how do we prove to the system that we're not lost at sea, that we're on the land, and that we're not a minor anymore? And this is the what I learned in the law summit I mentioned earlier from a, an amazing guy named Sean Rice, who's very much looked up at as like the guru of gurus, like in the law space. He's been in the law space and he's worked with the IRS. He was a military general or something. He was a flight instructor. He's worked with almost every government organization and he has lots of friends in the IRS, at the Fed, at the SSA, who confirm all of these things we're talking about to him saying, yep, that's exactly how the system works and how we think about it. And it's that you have to take your birth certificate go to your county land records, county recorder, and say, I want my birth certificate stamped by the county recorder's office, and they'll stamp it and record it in your county. And so that's proof that you're now on the land, right? The legal fiction is on the land. And then you have to go to the secretary of state's office and get it stamped by the Crown and the Hague, which are both European organizations, because America is a British colony. And so we have to get the crown to approve, yes, this person's on the land. So the crown has to approve it. And then the Hague, which is another big topic. And then you have those three stamps and you send that into the attorney general. The attorney general, the AG is the head of the treasury, the trustee of the treasury. We're talking about how to get out of the system, How to right? get out of the system. Yeah. Okay. You've proved that you're on the land okay. by three different ways. And then you write an affidavit claiming your treasury direct account. So that's why you have to do it in a certain way through a legal process, not just walk into court and say, that's my account, I'm the creditor, and think they're going to listen to you. They're going to play dumb and be like, what do you mean? What's a creditor? What's a treasury direct account? They play dumb in the court arena because that's their big dirty secret. But behind closed doors, that's how everyone's getting their remedy now, is that they're saying, I know what you guys are doing. I know how this whole thing works. I'm the creditor. And if you don't give me my rights, discharge this fraudulent case, whatever it is, I'm going to take this to the Supreme Court. And so they always discharge whatever the case is. It's like, no problem. You win, we win. We can all go about our business now. For people right now thinking about finances, I guess, in this year that are not necessarily ready to get out of the system, just for most of the people listening, what could we support them in understanding? Yeah. Yeah, I like the, I like the practical utility of yeah. this conversation because it's like, I don't want to just red pill people and like 
razzle dazzle them with information, but like, how do we actually live in the private? What does that look like? Practically speaking. And I'm a big fan of status correction, which the community that I follow is Robert Michael's community of the house of Marcus, Marcus with a K. I think it's houseofmarcus.org, but it might be.com, but that's where I've learned a lot of this information from. And he provides templates of trust indentures and status correction processes that you can do that are very powerful, that give you like notarized legal proof that you have changed your status from a U.S. citizen. Anything that puts you under contract with the legal system, you say, I'm not that. Yeah. I am an American state national, which was the original status of America when we were just a bunch of states. You would have been a Texan or a Californian or a Floridian or an Iowan. You were a national of the state because each state was like a country back then. And then they incorporated it and made it one thing. So you tell the system, I'm not a U.S. citizen. I am an American national. And that's a maxim of law that you have the right to self-determination, meaning nobody gets to tell you what you are. You tell others who you are. So once you have a sworn affidavit that's notarized telling the government who you are, then you have proof that you could always bring into a court setting that you can stand on, I'm a man. I'm not this legal fiction, all caps name. So I don't have any contracts with you guys. But that's not enough if you don't also understand all of this stuff and you can actually articulate it in a way. Because another maxim of law is that he who cannot articulate his rights has none. So law requires knowledge, right? Freedom requires knowledge. But I think an even more practical step for living in the private is to live your entire life through trust or trusts. Again, not something we're taught about in school, but... A trust is like the most powerful and protective legal device you can ever use. It's actually the highest jurisdiction of law called ecclesiastical law because it's based in the Bible. A trust is a reflection of the creator's trust with us. So God is the grantor of the universe. We are both the trustees to take care of God's universe and do good with it. And then we give it to our children one day who are the beneficiaries. So we're entrusted to take care of God's universe for God as trustees, right? So to have a trust is a reflection of the creator's relationship to the universe, which is why it's considered the most powerful form of law. It's as close to the divine as we can get, right? So when you live your life through a trust, that's called a private jurisdiction, which means the government doesn't have any right to come poking into your trust and poke their nose around or demand money from it. But the key is that you have to entrust your assets, your money, everything into the trust. So it's literally no longer yours. It belongs to the trust. So just like they protect themselves with a dead entity called a corporation, police officers are all walking corporations, which is why you can't, a police officer can't get in trouble because like they could kill somebody with their gun, right? Unjustly. But then when they try to sue the police officer, they lose every time because it's like, well, I'm just a corporation. You can't sue me. I'm perfect. So the way that they do that, we can do that with a trust. And it's kind of like a good mirror, right? The negative polarity does it with a dead entity, a corporation, a corpse. And we do it with a trust in the creator, the positive polarity. So learning how to live your life through trust is what I would recommend to the audience to start there. There are some really great texts. Art of Passing the Buck is one that's like all deep into trust law and the practical use of trusts. But you essentially want to have all your your assets. So just... Anyone can create a trust, and this is something that you can do individually, or is this something you would talk to your like 
accountant about or they would never recommend this. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just like practical next steps. So there are uh, legal corporate trusts. So if you go to like an attorney or an accountant and say, help me open a trust, you don't want to do that because they're going to open you a corporate trust that's part of the legal system. Okay. So they'll, they do have jurisdiction in your trust. You want what's called a common law trust, Okay. a private trust. And so House of Marcus, Robert Michael has amazing, really powerful trust documents that you kind of put in your information and the rest of the documents filled out correctly so that in, in law speak, it's giving you all the protection and all the power that you need for your trust. But like, for example, this is how the wealthy don't pay taxes. There was the famous Donald Trump tax return thing. Yeah. And for years and years, it was going on and on. We're going to expose your tax returns, but they never did. Don't they take loans out? Yeah, that's another thing that yeah. they do. Debt, they get rich yeah. off debt. But basically, when his tax returns came out recently, it showed that he didn't pay any taxes because he doesn't own anything. Because all the elites have known this for a long time now, that you don't want to own anything in your name because it's then product property of the state and the government. Because your name is property of the government. You want everything to be under a trust name. And so this is where we talk about control versus ownership. And again, the, the spiritual parallels are amazing to me because ownership of like, I need to own something. It needs mm. to be in my name. It's mine. That's an inherently egoic concept, right? To own something. And so if you try to own things like a house, a car, anything under the all caps name, it's actually the state's. And they can actually take it whenever they want. And you can actually get into a lot of trouble if you mismanage that asset, right? But if you just control something, but you don't own it, that's actually a much more powerful way to live because you're not in under their jurisdiction in any way anymore. Right. So you control things through a trust, and that's how you protect it from the corrupted system. And again, that control goes back to being a good trustee for, of God, right? God sent me here to take care of God's universe for my future generations. And so I want to be a good steward of God's earth. I want to be a good trustee. So I'm just here to manage the assets, control, right? Nothing belongs to me. It's all God's. That's an honorable way to live your life. So trust law is really everything in the legal world is trust law, but it's very deep rabbit hole. So I would just recommend start studying trust law because it's going to wake you up to the way the world really works as well because everything is done through trusts. And it's also going to show you how you can express the inner freedom that you know is true of you and live in the external world in such a way that that is also reflected. I think my intention with this is really for people to just be consciously aware of all the ways in which they give their power away and mm -hmm. how can we just reclaim our sovereignty and take our power back in whatever way that feels the most appropriate for your soul and your soul path, whether if it's financially, whether if it's through health, whether it's through education. We all know that our systems are corrupt. So what can we do internally to help support the external change that we want to see in the world? Mm -hmm. Well said. This was so good. And yeah, so, so I remember good. talking about this months and months ago over text. So I'm just really grateful that you could come and we could see you again in person. We just love you so much. You're such a great teacher. And yeah, thanks for coming all the way to Austin. Oh, just yeah. To interview really. me. This I know. It's a dream, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to catch our flight. <laughs> and then they can all find you, Aaron Abkey, and then Abkey.com, right? Yeah. And if this conversation was interesting or sparked anything for you, I've been doing a series on my YouTube channel where we go a lot deeper into this stuff called The Rabbit Hole with a friend of mine. So if you go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Aaron Abke, and then click the playlist tab, and then The Rabbit Hole series, just watch all those videos from start to finish, and uh, you'll know everything you need to know to definitely express your freedom by the end of that series. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you. And so it is. is. (laughs) Thank you so much, Aaron. Again, that's Aaron Abke. You can find him on YouTube, on Instagram, or AaronAbke.com. We have two more episodes with Aaron that you can dive into if you're interested. And then Aaron has YouTube videos on his channel that go deep into these subjects. So if you feel like this was interesting to you and you want more, highly suggest checking him out on YouTube for more in-depth information. Because beyond this, I know nothing. Lindsay knows nothing. So this is kind of where the buck stops with us. So more on all of this you can find with Aaron. And thank you to the sponsors for this episode. Just bringing you brands we vet for you and love. You can find all discount information in our show notes as well as on almost30.com, baby. All right. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you again for being here. We love you.